Thanks for tuning in to Voices in DevOps. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out John's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com, where he covers all things DevOps, data, and strategy, addressing many of the topics covered in Voices in DevOps. Hello and welcome to this episode of Voices in DevOps, where I'm here to speak to Steve Burton. I'm, I'm already laughing to myself because we were trying to work out a, a title and it went everything from VP of Product Marketing to, uh, or was it management, to uh, Northern Brit to, uh, and I'm looking at your uh, your uh, Twitter and it's it, it's it's all kinds of things and petrol head. So it could have been any of them, but uh, we're here to talk about DevOps. So I suppose, I guess we better limit ourselves to that. So hello, Stephen. Hello, Steve. Thanks, thanks, John, for the the interesting welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's all downhill from here, isn't it? Really. So uh, we're here to talk about DevOps. We're here to talk about you first. We're here to talk about how you got into a place where uh, DevOps became a normal uh, element of conversation. So, so maybe start there, if it even is a normal element of conversation. Yeah, sure. I think good place to start was my first job out of college where I experienced firsthand. So I was uh, I, I, I did a degree in Java and got a, a job as a software engineer. And ironically, my first task was to man a help desk um, for a, a website like Expedia. <laughs> and I was given a cell phone. I was like, if this call, if this phone rings, you need to answer it and resolve everything that breaks. Um, and that was my job for the first year, dealing with website outages and everything you can think of. And then after I, I obviously did well at help desk, I was then allowed to write code. Um, but it, it always appeared to me that kind of, why didn't I write code first? Then, then I'd know how to better support it in a live production environment. But I guess my employer had different ideas. That's already suggesting the kind of log, logical thinking you need as a developer. But I'm, I'm fascinated by um, uh, working on a help desk as your first job because there's a there's a guy uh, called Barry McGibbon who he, he actually wrote books about OO back in the day and he's probably retired now, but he was a mentor of mine. And I know that he said he wanted all of his kids to work at McDonald's or anywhere that was kind of public facing as one of their first jobs just to understand what people can really be like. And I wonder if from the <laughs> working on a help desk first really set you up in terms of just, not just what can go wrong, but how people react when things go wrong, which isn't always that pleasant. Yeah, I mean, every day was a party and not, <laughs> not, not a good party. Once I had people shouting at you. So I was like 21 and I had the CEO of one of the, the biggest websites in the world shouting at me daily. So it was definitely character building. Um, I think what I learned, though, was the, the business context or the, the interaction with the business. So typically, when you're on a help desk, you think it's just tickets and phone calls, but actually, you're the face of the application or the face of the service. And so for me, it was fascinating to, to engage with these business executives that had no idea how to build software, mm. but yet think like, hey, when are you going to fix it? When's it going to be ready? It's, it's your fault when it goes wrong. It's uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you don't like being blamed, it's not a great place to be. It's like um, what was it the Turing test, where uh, if you can't tell it's artificial intelligence by sending messages, then uh, then it then it must be. Um, and uh, but with, with a help desk, uh, they just don't know that there's anything behind the help desk person. It's just can't you just sort it out? Can't you work it out? But, uh, <laughs> So, so then you went into development, um, but you did a Java degree. Does that exist? So, it so. did back in the day. It was like 1997. So Java programming was like in its infancy. I think it was like 1.1. 1. 1. 
Um, And it was in Lancaster. It was one of the first colleges to do Java. So, yeah, I mean, it was a three-year degree in computer science. It's a shame my age that I still think of Java as a slightly new language, kind of. But there you go. That's a bit awkward. Uh, But now we're going back to things like Go, which is kind of almost C, I think. I haven't had a go with it, but um, it almost takes me back to where I started. So fingers crossed on that. So how did you get... um, not so much how did you get to where you are, but it is kind of. But also, how did you see the journey kind of evolve from doing programming, where you started after your help desk experience, to this world of DevOps? Is it, have you seen the whole industry mature across those past 20 years, or, or has it been a kind of a sudden thing over the past few? Or what, what would you Yeah, say? I, I think I noticed the transition five or six years ago, um, primarily in the U.S., um, where the, the, the kind of the, the, the process of managing risk can, kind of goes completely out the window and they almost embrace risk versus like battle against it. Mm. Um, and I think my first memory of that where I was like, wow, like that's different was probably listening to the Netflix stories in like 2010, 2011 and, and listening to like so Adrian Cockcroft and mm. kind of start on a stage and be like, this is completely different. This is what we do. And everyone's just, sat there with the mouth open going what um and i still i mean i I think a lot of the industry has shifted towards that type of model where it's kind of like breaking down the silos moving fast kind of doing what makes sense and and getting rid of the committee meetings the red tape and the bureaucracy and the kind of everything you've done to to manage risk you know and almost tearing all those walls down um i mean I, i still bump into companies where it's very much that and you're kind of thinking, how are you still in business? Mm. Uh, but I'd say the last three, four years in particular, it's gone mainstream. That's interesting. You take, take me back to Adrian Cockroft, what a great, what a lovely guy. Um, and, uh, well, I thought he was maybe. <laughs> we, we had a beer, which everyone appears lovely when you're drinking beer uh, a few years ago. But it takes me back to the point where before Netflix and before that world of suddenly these huge companies appearing out of nowhere, uh, with very, very different practices. Um, now we kind of, it's not that we take it for granted, but it is seen as the kind of, why aren't you doing it yet kind of mode. Whereas back then it was, nobody was doing it. And it was this this completely new, um, it was a, a completely new way of scaling a business. It, it wasn't new to do um, iterative development. It was new to build an entire business that was going to uh, wipe, blockbuster out and everyone else um by doing iterative development i think that was the big change yeah yeah and and more of a shift towards empowering developers i mean like when i was a developer i i wrote code and literally when we finished the tests we packaged it up and sent it to ops and that was the end of it we never heard the we never heard anything more and we moved on to the next project I think kind of similar to what Google did with SREs, where now you write and you support your own code base and the kind of whole full stack engineer and just appreciation of operations functions, I think is more kind of core to what a developer is today. Um, like, I mean, we had a dedicated DBA when I was a developer and everyone hated him. And the reason everyone hated him had nothing to do with his personality or, or him as a database person. It's because we all knew how much he was getting paid. <laughs> and uh, and they used to joke and laugh about it, but I mean that's how sad kind of back in the day it was because he was an Oracle DBA who specialized. 
um, the, the kind of collaboration between it was was often restricted for the wrong reasons. Mm. DBA is a special breed, though. Come on, let's face it. it oh, no, they're never wrong. You need to. You, need, <laughs> you go into that meeting and appreciation with that attitude, you'll do well. This is probably the wrong moment, but uh, I had a whole uh, conversation which made perfect sense uh, at the time. And I, I don't think alcohol was involved this time, but uh, essentially it was database people think in obviously in structures and uh, uh, developers think in processes. And there's this kind of, um, is it a wave, is it a particle um, flip between the two things? Because obviously yeah, what, one influences the other. Um, but structure people's trying to trying to engage with process people it's always going to cause a, a few issues i know that's a massive massive generalization <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah well i mean look at the text today you i mean like mongo is pretty developer friendly and you got snowflake you've got all these kind of more application centric data styles mm. and even the developers these days are doing a lot of what dbas were doing in the past yeah they, they can't look well yeah stored procedures they was you know DBAs being developers. That's where it all started. That's what went wrong in the first place. Yeah, I, I even wrote PL SQL. Man, that was painful. Oh boy. I, I, yeah, no, don't don't ask me about. I can do a join. That's that's as far as I take it, and then I and then right stop there. Thank you very much. I, I've got the data. I can I can get on with my life. Um, so on the uh, I mean your company Harness. I mean the company yeah. before um, is uh, enterprise facing, as I understand it. Um, and we're here to understand what's how enterprises can can unlock some of this DevOps fantastic joyful uh, wonder, uh, the Netflix world, the cloud native world, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. But in my experience, again and again, uh, there, there's so many things that can go wrong, and there's so many things that are getting in the way, as you've already suggested. So, would you say there's some some common themes from the perspective of you and harness or 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 more broadly um so if you're looking at i'm literally reading off your website now and this isn't about you pitching but if you're about continuous delivery made easy are you seeing continuous delivery made hard out there i guess is uh is a yeah for sure and and i think part of the reason is that the devops organization structures so like what is devops in an enterprise and it varies significantly I think the enterprises that get it right have different pockets of DevOps teams that start at a small scale and gradually grow over time, maybe for one or two applications, and they get some quick wins, they learn the processes, and then the story kind of gets told internally. The, the companies that get it wrong is where they're like, hey, we're going to have a DevOps team that sits across all business units and all applications, and it, it defines standards, and and it, they're, just, they're trying to boil the ocean from day one. Uh-huh. And, and I'm trying to hire that many DevOps people to set the standards to build the automation and, and do it at scale, I think is it, it's ambitious, but it's unrealistic. Um, and maybe in terms of continuous delivery, another kind of anti-pattern is, is thinking you can build it all yourself. So there's kind of two modes we see with DevOps team is the ones that move fast and, and, and kind of speed is very much what, what they're about. And there's other DevOps teams that kind of focus on being important and, and having job security and being the experts and being known as the kind of gatekeepers to, to automation and to, to a lot of what's going on in the business. 
Um, and the best DevOps engineers are the ones that are, are aligned to the business and they just get stuff done really quickly and they move on to the next project. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, we, we see lots of kind of DevOps patterns in the enterprises. Um, and, and so, yeah, happy to share any of those examples. Uh, so, so I, I've got a couple of really dumb questions. Um, <laughs> I've got lots of dumb questions. That's why I'm here. <laughs> All I do is ask dumb questions. But um, one dumb question is, um, I'll ask the question as what's in my head, and then I'll I'll put a caveat on that so I don't feel quite so dumb. Or uh, which is what's the difference between continuous delivery and DevOps? And the reason I'm asking that question is because I, I think there's a lot of companies out there that are kind of doing continuous or starting or trying to be more continuous in their delivery. Yeah, and they're referring to it as we're doing DevOps. Um, so. Yeah. You, is that it does that reflect your experience uh yeah it, it's all over the place I, I think where i would define it is devops is a culture and a mindset and that people follow every day and it, it's almost like a set of things that they try to demonstrate doing their job whereas mm-hmm. in his delivery is really a process or it's a set of tasks that automate how you deliver software to your customers um and the, the two are often interlinked and 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 obviously vendors are not doing the market a service because they tend to throw the DevOps word around like we're the next DevOps platform and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I think, yeah, you can do DevOps and continuous delivery very well and continuous delivery with a DevOps culture is going to, I think, achieve a lot more than just having a continuous delivery process. Mm. Uh, it, it ultimately comes down to people. <laughs> and so the culture is 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 obviously what is a reflection of the people. Um, yeah, that's how I would kind of define the two. Yeah, I mean, con- the the term continuous is is both an aspiration and a symptom, isn't it? It's, um, uh, just just delivery is already a good start, and then delivery more frequently is 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 quite good. And delivery up to a point where you think, wow, we're pretty fast at this, then then you you're starting to get it. Yeah, and it, it means things to different teams and different organizations. I mean, if, if you're a bank and you're used to releasing code every quarter, going from every quarter to every week is still continuous. It's just it's obviously not as fast as like a West Coast San Francisco startup that delivers code a billion times a day. Um, and it, it really is continuous. So I think continuous, it, 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 it's all rep, it's all relevant, like it's all relevant to the companies and the industries and, and what's normal, I guess, for those individual companies. So if you're put in place, so here's, here's my other question, which is back back to what you mentioned that some organizations try to ball the ocean. And I've seen that. Um, I can think of some retail examples. I can think of some finance examples. Uh, and um, that, does lead to situations that um, uh, create different problems of, of just how do you engage this thing that's trying to make it all perfect with a world that isn't perfect uh, and, and uh, the, the friction that's caused there. Um, but is is the starting point just keep it absolutely really simple or is there a kind of middle? I genuinely don't know the answer to this. I'm not feeding you a line. Uh, should you start with tiny things or should you start with a sort of big thing, but not that big that it's boiling the ocean? Good question. I think you can achieve it in both ways. Um, where I've seen it work most successful is where 
an outside team or an outside individual is brought in to change and disrupt and change the status quo. I think it's really difficult for any team to change with 10, 15 years, even five years of legacy doing things a certain way. Um, and I think it almost needs fresh blood or a, a disruptor to come in and, and change the status quo and, and being empowered. Um, there's certainly teams that can change, but I think to get the change and to get the momentum you need, you, you need to go and recruit people that don't have any debt or legacy or, or kind of exposure to what happened previously. Um, and that might be the wrong way, but the companies I've seen that work in the best, and I'm just thinking of one large financial organization, they actually made an acquisition, a small company acquisition, and that DevOps team now manages most of most of that financial um, DevOps operations because they were so good at what they did, but they knew nothing about the past and the legacy of that financial enterprise. Mm. Right. Harsh but fair. I'm thinking I spoke to Credit Agricole in, in France about uh, uh, they they created a, a more DevOpsy world, uh, a whole app store, financial application store um, set up. Yeah. And uh, I said to the guy, so so why did you do it as a as a separate business? And he said because there was just no way it would have um, ever happened if we tried to do it within the exist within the mothership. I think was his term. We had to create a satellite and then grow it from there. Yeah, and I think, I mean, one one customer that comes to mind is, for us, is Open Bank, the, the digital bank of Bank Santerre. If you engage with that team, it's, like, for me, that's one of the best examples of DevOps done properly. Um, everyone's empowered. Everyone moves fast. They obviously have the constraints of being a financial company, but it, it you just get a sense that things happen in every single day there. And I engage with other banks and institutions and six months later, you think nothing's really changed. Um, and if you, I asked the question, like, like how are you empowered to, to make all these changes? It's just like, it comes from the top, our executives empower and, and accountability and freedom. It's, it's back then right from the executives all the way, all the way down. I think, um, uh, I'm just just thinking out loud here. One of the issues we've got as as any um, person who's talking about this stuff, as opposed to doing it, I'm talking about me as an analyst now. Um, yeah. Is I generally talk to people that are doing it, and I talk to people that have had some success in it. There, there's, you know, I, I haven't had voices in DevOps of people that say nothing ever works and it's all been hopeless, and so we we just stick with waterfall, which maybe I should. Uh, that's a very good yeah, note to self. Um, unique right there. But, but you, you get a kind of um, positive reinforcement uh, loop going on where, so you're saying things like, you know, oh, well, it's only going to work if you get a board level involvement. It's only going to work at the empowerment from the top. It's only going to work if, um, uh, and, and then you, you said earlier that people, uh, when developers can just engage with the business and, and work that out and actually then deliver something and move on, that all sounds great, but what if you're in an organization where you don't have that absolute top-level buy-in and empowerment, and uh, you, you don't have necessarily the ability to switch out the entire team? Uh, do, do, do you just say, oh, well, you know, never mind, <laughs> you, you, you're broken, just just 
just give up or uh, is there a way forward for these uh, for these sad organizations that don't have these wonderful um, symptoms in place already i mean one option is like i think if you distill devops down it comes down to communication transparency and feedback and learning from mistakes and and doing what it takes to, to to fix things and move fast i think you could take an existing team and get them in a room and like right why does it take us i don't know six months to deploy code in production like let's whiteboard it together let's figure out where all the friction is and then just just do like i mean do do briefs on why things happen why do we need 20 people in a room to, to sign up on a change ticket <laughs> like um like what why do we have all these tools that no one uses um like why does it take a deployment a whole day with with 10 people like what what and I mean, the people in IT and uh, like uh, they're smart people, but I think part of it is they're doing things because that's the way they've been told things have been done and they've been done for 10, 15 years. And like, why not, why not look to deconstruct the process of delivering software or, 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 or delivering business innovation and, and look to optimize it. And I think feedback and EQ training, getting the teams to work together to listen as opposed to be judgmental and, and be very well, like, I don't believe you because every time someone says that, it's wrong. I think just training people to give and receive feedback would have a big, would have a big impact in any organization, not just IT and developers. But I mean, that's, that's partly what DevOps is, is, is understanding and getting on and, and not being of the, the mindset of blame and fear which is, I think, growing up in the UK in the 80s and 90s, that's certainly how I saw employment. It was a fear, like you were managed with a stick and you had to come in at nine and you had to leave at five and you had to wear certain clothes and you had to act in a certain way and blah, blah, like in, in, in kind of Silicon Valley, people are very open at doing things in different ways and, and maybe you have more freedom and creativity and ability to make an impact as opposed to in the UK, it's, it's very restrictive and, and like you can't make a mistake at all costs because that would, that would cost you your job. That's very interesting. I mean, funnily enough, uh, knowing that you're from the northeast of, uh, of England, uh, that's exactly what my other friend Steve from the northeast of England was saying about the difference between America and Britain, which is a bit of a sad indictment, but kind of hard to avoid that whole blame culture thing. Yeah, and, and it comes down to just people skills, right? It's mm. listening to people, understanding and not being judgmental. And so I'm very interested, um, uh, maybe as we, we start to kind of uh, go down the other side of the hill on this podcast, um, wrapping things back round into your help desk experience, because a lot of DevOps, uh, I spoke to Andy Mann about this at uh, Splunk, uh, for example, um, is uh, it's, a, it's big dev and it's little ops. Uh, so it, it still is a little bit over the wall, or at least it's push. You know, we've developed something and now we can shift it out there. And um, uh, anyway, all operations is going to be automated, so we don't need to worry too much about that. Uh, whereas the operational world and the help desk world and the service world is is still alive and uh, kicking and problem solving and diagnosing and everything else. Um, given the fact that you started there, how would you see the the what people see as you know full cycle feedback loops, et cetera, et cetera, or are we really just trying to simplify getting stuff into production? 
Yeah, I think we're we're trying to reduce the time it takes to go from an idea to getting it in the customer's hands. And unfortunately, um, to, to do that, you, you need to remove the time and sometimes the people that are involved and, and makes it make it hands off. Um, because if the competition is doing it faster than you, you're probably going to lose that market. Uh-huh. Um, and and so like change is sometimes painful. And I, I hear you on the devs and the ops and ops feeling left out. But, but why does it take the business, I don't know, let's say, why does it take a bank 90 days to, to take a change and put it in the customer's hands? That just doesn't seem right. And, and so when you when you understand the timeframes and the teams and the people and you try and optimize that, there's there's gonna be there's gonna be casualties. Um, I do think the role of a developer these days is more wider and there needs to be more appreciation for operations and it's because it's ongoing. It's like I deploy, I see my code, I need to verify it, what's the business impact? Do I need to roll back? Do I need to kind of make a quick change? It, it's almost giving developers that that instant feedback loop to what's happening. Um, I think what they also lack, and I think both operations and development are guilty of this, is the business context. Like they're all managing these artifacts and these infrastructures, but what was the business outcomes of the changes or the work that they did that week and next week? And and I, I definitely think like any part of DevOps is like, why are you doing DevOps? Is it to make Is it to make you feel good because everyone else is doing it? Or is it to move the number or is it to increase customer renewals or revenue or orders? Like how, what are the, what is the business KPIs behind your DevOps initiative? And I think that's a big void right now in, in many companies that we, we engage with. Um, and I've seen a lot of the, the kind of the, the, the DevOps stories there. So business alignment, business visibility. I mean, when I was on help desk, I literally, I, I could see the revenue numbers every day. And if those revenue numbers were down, I wasn't have a good, I wasn't gonna have a good day the next day. Mm. And developers need to see that. Hey, I deployed this code and suddenly, you know what, that new service I shipped, it created all these orders and the business, the business was great. Like why, why can't we celebrate the positive stuff that developers and operations people do as opposed to always focus on the negative stuff? That's brilliant. Um, um, uh, I, was, I was I was I was so wrapped up in, uh, in what you were saying. There. Um, the um, future, then final thought. Are we are are we there in terms of how things? Is this the situation that we're going to have where some some organisations are brilliant, some are not so good, and I mean, a bit like the rainforest, it's going to kind of, um, or maybe a bad analogy at the moment with the fires, but um, essentially it's going to be in a constant state of change and some's going to be dying while other bits are going to be growing, et cetera. Or are we progressing towards a, another place in your mind and in your experience with your customers? Yeah, I think there's always going to be evolution of people with new ideas on new ways of doing things. And so I think DevOps is just... Uh, a, a lot of those things coming together at the same time, I think around like 2010 and, and thinking, is there a new way we can, we can do IT at scale? Um, I think with kind of new technologies around the corner, um, I think like serverless is, is going to empower developers even more. Um, that type of shift is definitely going to be big. Um, 
and, and even machine learning and AI, like no one quite knows what's going to happen. And I think that makes things interesting. <laughs> um, and there's opportunities to get creative and, and push the boundaries of what can be done. Um, yeah, I, I mean, part of working in tech is it's exciting. Nothing, nothing stays the same. Uh, I mean, that, the old uh, Chinese proverb is so true at the moment. May you live in interesting times. But uh, So it's only going to get interesting from here. Uh, more yeah, interesting from here. To give you an uh, example, there was yesterday someone tweeted a video of two people in a Tesla X fast asleep on a highway. <laughs> and like that's cr- like to think a car c- can do that and drive itself is crazy. My mouth is sitting open briefly there for the audience. They can't see me doing that, but it's <laughs> as with this. You should see the responses on Twitter. Oh, that, that's that's going to be my next port call. I'm, I'm going to go and have a look. And while I do that, and while we wrap up, are there any last things? It's your moment to just say if there's one thing you could do, or uh, here's here's the next thing to try, or whatever for for people out there looking to do better DevOps, as it were. What would uh, yeah, I think, think simply put, like i think be kind like like get on with people like learn how to communicate feedback is is the biggest thing that's going to help you continuously improve whether you do devops or whether you don't do devops um i think having an appreciation for when things go wrong and, and understanding why things went wrong and lessons learned i think that that is super key and if you're going to do devops it's probably a good idea you, you hire people and recruit them and, and teach them on, on those types of things, get it like the EQ is as important as the IQ. Um, so um, yeah, I think um, just simple human skills go a long way, um, regardless whether you're building cars or whether you're building software. That's, uh, I mean, it's, it's something I spent some time a few years ago thinking about that uh, I think uh, the conclusion I reached was that if technology doesn't turn us all into automata, then it will enable us to be more human. So I think that's a fantastic note to to end on. And so thank you very, very much, Steve, uh, for joining me on on this podcast. And uh, uh, I look forward to uh, to speaking to you more on, on these subjects. Yeah, thanks, John. Appreciate the time. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in DevOps, please check out the other ones. Scaling DevOps for the enterprise is the focus of a recent report John wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how digital transformation is evolving, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on IT operations and business strategies.